everyone, welcome to Michael and Ivanka's Grand Podcast. Um, two friends who have a calendar reminder to talk to each other every other Friday, but and think it's a conversation worth sharing with whatever minuscule fragment of the world will listen. My name's Michael Forrest. And I'm Ivanka Magic. And this week we're going to talk about some... Well, basically, I just finished Bloody Brilliant Women by Kathy Newman. And as I was reading it, I uh, sort of like every so often would highlight a paragraph that I was like, what? And I thought it'd be quite fun to discuss that with you. But so we'll, we'll call this, this could be about just women and women that are brilliant, but also just some, some things that we, that we might not realise that women have suffered in the past. And let's just like talk about that a bit. Things like that. Sounds delightful. I have also, to add to the brilliant, bloody brilliant women list, I've got f- a game called Fierce Women. So we're going to have mm. bloody brilliant, fierce women, fiercely brilliant yes. women, wonderfully brilliant, <laughs> something like that. Women, what these yeah! bloody, What these bloody brilliant women have overcome to get, to, yes. to eat, to, to, to slowly fight back. So, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Banker, thoughts, uh, feelings, where are you coming from? I am excited about this topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, sorry, that was the how's your week bit. I know. Uh, to, oh, and this week, okay. sorry, uh, uh, thoughts, feelings, how's it going? thoughts, where are you feelings, from? where you come from? Anything in your notes? Uh, just, no. I didn't do any no. notes. I tried to tried to get. I was like Siri, record a note, and it went. Yeah, forget I that. I can't do that. Just, I was like, well, fucking useless. You just are. Got to get your phone out and just get the notes out. Yeah, up. but what you know, if you're cooking or you've got wet hands or you're dealing with the child, blah, 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 you know. Ha- okay. You know, just this don't is have wet hands. This is another thing for the list of <laughs> of the things bloody brilliant fierce women have to overcome. Um, so what, wet hands doing things multi you know looking <laughs> after you just think I'll wander around or they get my phone out writing notes fuck's sake well I mean I think uh, you're uh, underestimating your freedom if you think you can't write a quick note <laughs> you say that but the minute you get a phone out I get this little hand comes out and oh, goes mummy I want to look at pictures though I did okay, well, get, <laughs> like, could write, get a notebook and then she wants to draw on it. It's not that easy. Okay. She try living with a four-year-old. What did she say to me? She did, she started using the phrase, "I can't handle this." <laughs> I oh God! I mean, I can't handle this. I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, it's not fair. <laughs> what does that mean? It's not fair. So it's like a, a repeater of phrase. It's like a little recording device. But I don't know who says I can't handle it because nobody in. Neither Nick nor I definitely, we definitely don't do that. Anyway. You can handle everything. We can take it all on. We're fine. Mm. Um, so, yes, good week. No notes. Uh, but I'm happy. It's very hot. Yes, here too. I'm quite happy, though, with my eco adjustments to my house in terms of the insulation. It requires a little bit of management. You have to remember to shut those windows and open these ones and make sure the sun's not actually coming in. Uh, mm. But actually, we're doing very well without aircon. And walking into the house, it is degrees cooler than outside, which is all mm. you really need. You don't need it to be 18. You just mm. need it to be not 35. Yes. So oh, I'm quite pleased. Good. Yes, there you go. That's a good story. <laughs> Insulation for the win. <laughs> How am I, do you ask? How are you, Michael? I do move ask. It. Move it along. <laughs> move it along. <laughs> Michael, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I, things in my list this week. Um, I like. Do you know those? You know, in films and stuff, they've always got those. Like, they someone sticks a USB stick in a computer and it like hacks it, and you're like, what? <laughs> so I need uh, one. That doesn't seem right. But I found out how those work in real life. It's because it it doesn't. It's not a memory stick. It's a. It, it pretends to be a keyboard and then just types. No. Because the yeah yeah so the computer does just goes oh yeah a keyboard and just like so then you just make it open a terminal window and start typing so they do work those are real isn't that mad that is mad should we get one so, or two one each 
<laughs> go round so putting it because I computers. thought it was like well if auto exec whatever doesn't work then how's that going to do anything but no keyboard son of a bitch um <laughs> Um, let's talk about women. Let's. I'm going to scroll through. Right. You know. So as I'm reading this book, bloody brilliant women. And it's like every so often you get a little insight into how gross the situation has been for ages. So the first one I've seen is like. Um, it's about, so this is about Gertrude Bell, but it says, Born in 1868, the daughter of a progressive, well-connected industrialist, Bell became the first woman to achieve first-class honours, though not, of course, a degree, women weren't allowed to collect those yet, in modern history at Lady Margaret Hall, Oxford, despite having a tutor who insisted women sit with their backs to him. <sighs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Sorry, Auntie Annette, but seriously, it's going to be a sweary one. (laughs) So this this professor, like, please, any women in the group, obviously you're not allowed any actual degree or anything either, but sit with your back to me because I can't handle it. On what grounds? Just the women. But that that just comes back. But then you've got, like, the Simpsons writing room where that guy was, I can't can't remember which one it was, but, like, not wanting to hire any women because he didn't want to get distracted. I mean, like, but that's, that's says, into the nineties. Like that's still happening. That sort of thing. Yeah, but, you know. But that says so much more about the male psyche. It's like, seriously, <laughs> mate. If you know you can't control your thoughts and urges, then you're the one that needs some help, my friend. You know, it's like, yeah. Like, what are you trying to avoid there? Yeah. Like, is it? Oh, I'm going to see a woman, and then, and then, yet the the narrative is that women are over emotional and like you know yeah. irrational. It's like. <laughs> Which is it? It doesn't, yeah, doesn't get much more irrational than turn your back to me while I teach you, because I otherwise I'll get distracted or something, or you'll <laughs> learn or fuck knows. Anyway, that is a good story. I like it. Uh, skipping through to the next one, page forty. Well. Gertrude's um, a strong name, though, isn't it? Oh God. So, um, pity. Right. So, who's this? So, sorry. Each time I've got to like figure out who it is. Um, so something about the late Victorian expectation was that women would suppress their intellects, the better to boost men's sense of their su- own superior brain power. So this is about that this is about Rus- <laughs> This is about Ruskin. Who's Ruskin? Sorry, it's like I've got to scroll back and find because it just says Ruskin. Some I'm egomaniac, like, insecure knobhead. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what this is a book about that sort of thing. No, only yesterday I gave a woman advice. I said, look, he's just a a total egomaniac from South America. You're just going to have to like let him. Depends what kind of a meeting you want to have. You either, you know, be aware of his ego or don't. Um, So, you know, let's not. But anyway, tell, do tell. Okay, so this is this is about. Okay, right. So for women being both altruistic and obedient by nature, they were best employed in the home, making their husbands happy and looking after any children. Even if their husbands stop loving them, they must continue to love these men out of loyalty. Um, Through passionate duty, love springs higher as grass grows taller round a stone. Um, So the um, and then uh, but this isn't the bit that I've highlighted, like what became known as the doctrine of separate spheres, that women belonged at home while men could only could cope with the demands of the workplace, found its most famous expression in an essay by the writer and art critic John Ruskin called Sesame and Lilies, published in 1865. The job of a woman, Ruskin argues, is to patrol the domestic front. Her intellect, such as it is, is not for invention or creation, but for sweet ordering, arrangement and decision. But then it talks about his personal life. It's pity Ruskin's poor wife. Indeed, his own marriage to Euphemia Effie Gray was annulled after six years on the grounds of non-consummation. Supposedly, the sight of her pubic hair and menstrual blood on their wedding night disgusted him. Oh, my goodness. He's got problems. Yeah, this guy was setting the tone. Jesus. And he was allowed to write things, was he? He was a he he created a a doctrine. Well, he he expounded this doctrine. So it's people like that 
who are responsible for a lot of the um, divides we uh, currently, the, the, the arbitrary um, categorizations that people are currently suppressed by. A man that cannot handle six years. Imagine six years in and you're still like, oh no. Jesus, mate. <laughs> Just people just need more therapy, Michael, don't they? People yeah. need a lot of therapy. People don't just they? need more right. honesty, more therapy, more self-awareness. Come on, let's have mm. another one. All right. Oh, so um, this is about a factory. Um, so, so Adelaide Anderson's 1922 study, "Women in the Factory," um, describes how the dust inhaled by women spinning silk caused them to cough up silkworms. That is disgusting. <laughs> We may need a content warning on this one. I don't, but I don't want to do a con content warning about the con prospect of menstrual blood being brought up. But coughing up silkworms, maybe that seems pretty disgusting. Can you? Can you? Um, that's nice working conditions, isn't it? Like, oh. when was this? Um, what year? What century? Uh, this is an eighteen, a nineteen twenty-two study. So this is less than a hundred years ago. There was women oh. in factories coughing up live. Silkworms. Silkworms. Oh, my God. And this is, you know, anyone who argues against workers' rights yeah. needs to cough up some silkworms. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's... I saw that the other day. Like, when um, right-wing rage lead, led to the KKK, left-wing rage led to the weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We need we need a so, load more left wing rage, raging, yeah, yeah. raging well, left wing rage, actual out. Anyway, go on. I'm enjoying. I'm this. happy. I'm happy to count myself as a radical leftist. Thank you, Donald, because I know that that does not mean what you think it means. <laughs> it does not mean that I am perpetrating leftist violence. It means that I'm doing quite the opposite. Um, here's a good radically one. Radically uh, loving of all of humanity. Anyway. All right, here's a good one. By the 1880s, public transport was making it easier for women to get around, but there were still places where they needed to be accompanied. Women who walked the streets themselves were seen as either endangered or dangerous. As one historian puts it, and as a rule, a lady was simply not supposed to be seen aimlessly wandering the streets or eating alone. <laughs> women do not eat alone. Because that is dangerous. Um, so uh, maybe that one wasn't as good. It um, is though, because it's like uh, that somebody would even contemplate that. You know, it's it's like it's there's so many levels, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like all of these are like what eating. Uh, you know, come on, there's, eating. There's a, what, there's, I don't know if you've noticed, officer, but uh, over there, there's a bench. There's a woman eating alone on that bench. I think you should probably find out who her husband is. And uh, who she belongs to. Walk her home. <laughs> Take her to prison to be picked up by her husband at the shortest opportunity. Um, let's talk about medical schools now. Medical schools were rather conservative and distinctly queasy about women attending classes in anatomy and physiology, as if the sight of a dead man's penis might be too much for the poor delicate creatures. The more successful the women became in their studies, the more the violence against them escalated. Mud was thrown at them and fireworks attached to the doors of their lodgings. On the 18th of November, 1870, so, OK, um, the women arrived to sit an anatomy exam at Surgeon's Hall, only to find a drunken mob blocking their entry with a live sheep wandering around the room. The none-too-subtle message was that a woman was as unwelcome there as a farmyard animal. Um, the unruffled lecturer advised his class to take no notice of the animal, saying that it had more sense than those who had sent it in. Well, that was something. Mm. Allies. So Women need allies in this allies world. Allies would be good, wouldn't it? But why? What causes all this anger? Why so angry? Do you remember? Did I? I'm again. I don't know if I've done it on podcast. When I inherited mm -hmm. that team at, at Canonical, and one mm -hmm. of my. Uh, one of my uh, uh, not long, didn't stay a team member for very long. It's like, yeah. think what it's like for me. They say to me, here is this girl. She looks nice. She's your new boss. <laughs> mm. Angry. You can see that. But I don't understand where it comes from. 
I don't understand the anger that some men feel against women. I don't know what the where the anger comes from. That sort of like drunken mob. Why? I mean, it's very difficult when you're in a. I've had this conversation. Like my husband, my brother, my. I'm surrounded by men who are. If they don't like you or they don't, they're horrible to you. It's not because you're a woman. Because you <laughs> yeah. avoid them. Do you know what I mean? It's as simple as that. It's like, yeah. and so, you know, they, these are kind of not, but they're generally not discriminating. So what yeah. is it that makes you so angry that you will actually feel violent just because somebody's living their lives? Yeah, because you see someone as an other, right? And it's like, oh, that is someone who's very obviously an other and like, oh, they're, they're going to ruin it for me. They're going to ruin it. And now I'm not allowed to make sexist jokes anymore. And they're my funniest jokes. You know, I guess it's like, yeah, like inclusivity sort of feels like an attack on your freedom if you're not, if you don't realise what it's giving to you. It's just make America great again. It's just like, oh, let's have it back yeah, yeah, home. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have to think about people. We could just all be white together. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the, the anger I find quite remarkable. Have I got yeah. any others? Oh, loads. I, I, I thought I had, was running out, but I've got a few more. Um, if women today rus wrestle with the gender pay gap, in the early 20th century, it was a yawning chasm. So this one I just chose more because it was like, ugh. Um, female civil servants were paid no more than £200 a year, while their male counterparts earned between three and £500. As for job security, most were sacked after the war and replaced with returned services personnel. This post-war demobilisation of women happened across the board. Liberal Prime Minister David Lloyd George put them firmly in their place, declaring the workers of today are the mothers of tomorrow. Mm. So like, that, a lot they, of women yeah. stepped up during the war and yeah. like it was like, yeah, they're good at this. And then but then they had to sort of go back to being housewives and stuff afterwards. And a lot of them were like, well, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like going to work. Um, I, 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 I find it. Um, I mean, I was brought up in a household that I think was very equal. I saw patterns of equality but my father did take the time to tell me that life was going to be harder for me because I was a woman and I needed to work harder so I was made aware of these things but you just forget how recent it all is same with like yeah. um you know the the sort of uh, racism in America you know we're not yeah. talking or or the abolition of slavery in some place these are not yeah. things that happened hundreds of thousands of years ago these yeah, are yeah. sort of centuries and decades ago that this yeah. and it takes it, it and then you know you look at again counting your freedoms yeah it's very easy for uh you know it's very easy for a woman living a life where she can walk down the street on her own and eat on her own <laughs> in public mm. To to forget that actually there was a time when that wasn't wasn't <laughs> well, okay. Well, it it's interesting. Like, did you know did that you what know? you're doing right now used to be a sign of mental faultiness? <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> and then well, I was just having a yeah. prep. Yeah, <laughs> these, these poor women in like Saudi Arabia places who still can't go anywhere unless they're, you know father or brother or husband bring them along yeah. i mean I've... yeah so and this 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 book is very like uk you know britain centric so yeah, yeah. it's like i mean but, i think we've done okay but still just it's, it's got a long way to go but uh, that, it is strangely yeah. recent yeah, yeah, do you yeah. want to hear a, do you want to hear about mary stopes yes um, i do this is the abortion clinic woman who yeah. i mean it's it's good that that exists but she wasn't that cool <laughs> <Go> on, <then. laughs> in 1920 in her 1920 book radiant motherhood stopes rails against a society that allows this is quote allows the diseased the racially negligent the thriftless the careless the feeble-minded the very lowest and worst members of the community to produce in innumerable tens of thousands of stunted warped and inferior infants Oh my God, she was a eugenics person. Yeah, this talk of us, this talk horrifies us now. And if anything, Stopes' views on eugenics became more extreme as she grew older. Um, 
When her much-loved only son married a woman who wore glasses, she cut him out of her will. <laughs> Outra outraged that he would consider having children with someone who was, as she saw it, genetically faulty. So sometimes people do the right thing for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Gee whiz. She sounds like Mary a regular Stokes. ray of sunshine, doesn't she? She is. What a wonderful person. Um, here's a fun one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> About wealth. <laughs> so this is someone that, um, this is someone that um, sort of did well, but on the back of some privilege. I'm just trying to find her first. Nancy Astor, who became Tory MP for her husband Waldorf's constituency of Plymouth Sutton when he moved to the House of Lords, blah, blah, blah. This is 1919. Um, to call Astor's life gilded understates her wealth. She divided her time between her country house... Cliveden, a townhouse in St James Square and an array of other residences including an estate in the Hebrides her head gardener at Cliveden made a fresh buttonhole for her every day which, if she was in London, he would send to her by post. But as the historian Brian Harrison makes clear, she had a gift of empathy and a bunch of good intentions seeing other women... Of the, I, I thought that was going to end more fun. But um, basically, I she, don't know what a buttonhole is, but imagine a, a having... A flower to put in your... In your lapel. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, but to, to, to make a change in the early 20th century, you're going to need to be pretty set up by the sound of it. So, so what, what you're sorry, it's, so the point is that she was, she became an MP, but she, she was became minted. An, but she was pretty flipping minted. Um, but that's the same thing about celebrating the 100 years of, of the women's vote. Only yeah. some women got the vote. You know, mm. white women married over 35 who owned property or something. I can't remember the stats, but, it, you know, the actual definition. But it was a very small percentage of women. But you have to start somewhere. There's mm. a, a, there is this thing about, you know, privilege is privilege, regardless of gender, I suppose. Yes, 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 exactly. I mean, money um, helps. Doesn't matter what you're money made is of, really what you look like. Flipping <laughs> useful. Wealth is great for making change. Like, people... People who are making change aren't the people that are struggling to survive. Unfortunately. No, but is she the, did she was she willing to make change on behalf of other people though? Let's have a little. Yeah. Let's find out about her, Nancy. What was it, Astor? What she well, I should have just kept reading. What she was, what we would call nowadays a social liberal, fighting for causes such as widows' pensions and the raising of the age of consent. She enlisted the help of former suffrage activist Ray Strachey, Strachey to brief her on debates that were raging on the more radical intellectual fringes of the movement. A pragmatic feminist who favoured what she called real old-fashioned, courageous, sensible, solid cup of tea women, Astor was hugely popular in her constituency, <laughs> remaining MP for Plymouth until she retired in 1945 so wow. that's just an example of a brilliant woman who was using mainly. her power using her power for good oh cool, cool there are some of them about yes do you know um, do you know Eleanor Rathbone is that mm. a familiar name no this is um, this is someone I just liked that um, this was someone who this is another bit of wealth funny like interesting people stuff like born into a wealthy liberal liverpudlian shipping family rathbone was a former suffragette who had also been the first woman in liverpool's city council with her booming voice and old-fashioned manner she was a strong character with a formidable work ethic she often had to be reminded to eat and was impatient with what she saw as others weaknesses such as the desire to take holidays <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, women's problems, she thought, were too often owned by men, seen through their eyes and discussed in their language. Rathbone thought women should be able to seize control of their own lives, and that didn't mean women having to man up. The more I see of some men, especially politicians, the less I want women to adopt their methods and standards of values. It's an argument that cool. resonates like from the, the workplace. Of, uh... Westminster today. Yeah, Eleanor Rathbone, so she's a good one. Well, that's, I think, part of this thing that's happening with the American, you know, abortion laws creeping in changes is they're being made by men. Um, and those same men, though, what's fascinating to me about America and what shows that it's so much about control is that their maternity rights are atrocious. So, you mm. know, I think they're only obliged to give you two weeks leave after you give birth. It's nice. Like, 
you know, so you want me, you know, you want me to f- force through this pregnancy, but then when the baby turns up, I'm not allowed to spend a year at home breastfeeding it and loving it and cuddling it and, you know, making sure it's okay. You know, it's like actually doing the mothering. I'm just supposed to... Do, you know what I mean? It's like it doesn't make any... It doesn't hang together. Yeah, it's... It's not so a... So gross. And it, like... It's... I mean, even maternity laws in the UK are... are, are, are there are better ones in the world. But, like, my mum, who did work and was a teacher, she only had, like, six weeks off when mm. she had me. Which is... Like, I was like... How the hell you got out of the house? It's like... I was still sitting on the sofa going, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do with this child? It's kind of a... Mm. So the idea of women being in charge of women's... The things women are in charge... How can a man legislate or talk about, you know, anything to do with childbirth? Though, as we know, it's not as painful as kidney stones. No, so get over it, women. So sort it out. Oh God, this is a this is just a depressing um, it's a depressing quote from. Uh, let me see, I'm just trying to find the name. Vera Vera Douche, Dewey. Sorry, it's quite a Vera name. Dewey. Sorry. <laughs> um, there was so with little in the way of support, female conscription placed a massive strain on families. This wasn't lost on contemporary feminists like Vera Dewey, librarian at the Women's Service Library, whose 1949 book Daughters of Britain is one of the earliest post-war attempts to assess women's contribution during the Second World War. The idea behind mass mobilisation, she notes, was that no skilled person was to do what could be done by an unskilled person and no man was to do what could be done by a woman. Simple enough in theory, but to show how onerous this could be in practice, she quotes from a speech given in the House of Commons on the 24th of September 1943 by Malcolm McCorkadale, the Joint Parliamentary Secretary in the Ministry of Labour and National Service. An honourable member told me a story... An honourable member told me a story which, with his permission, I will tell the House. With regard to a man who had permission from his firm to go to work at eight o'clock instead of seven, a new foreman wished to take away this privilege, and he asked the man why he could not come on at seven o'clock like the others. His answer was that he had to get the baby up and get it to its grannies. The foreman asked why his wife could not do it, and the man replied that she had to get up at 5.30 to go to another factory at six o'clock. Then the foreman inquired whether the grandmother could not get up a little earlier to receive the child, only to be told that the grandmother did not come back from her night shift until seven o'clock. So that's oh back God. into that thing of that money management thing that went around recently. It's like, you people. Yeah, you just don't know. Mm. Let's, not, let's not have a world that works like that, shall we? Yeah. Let's get some God. leftist rage. Yeah, let's let's have some more another revolution. Got, it's I've time. Got, yes, another revolution. <laughs> I like this new. There's been another thing that's gone around this week on the subject of left leftist revolutions. Um, yeah. Resulting in the weekend, uh, there's been something. Rutger Bergman shared something on Twitter about how uh, love and empathy, like not basically, don't punch a, a right wing person. So peaceful, peaceful protest is three and a half percent more effective than aggressive. So right. the extinction of, you know, if the next left radical left revolution is one filled with extinction rebellion style protesting, which is nonviolent and full mm-hmm. of love for humanity, yeah, you know, it might just work. Ooh, that's I'll good. Find- uh, let's talk about the BBC in the 50s. Um, this is about uh, someone, Bakewell. Uh, let's see, Joan Bakewell. Um, this uh, Once she asked Derek Amor, the BBC's head of news, why there were no female newsreaders. He replied that, one, their voices were too shrill, two, their clothes would distract viewers, and three, if there was a serious catastrophe, they wouldn't be able to keep their emotions hidden. 1950s. The the too shrill thing is quite interesting because having started reading Mary Beard, I've not got to the end of it, the women and power, because you sort of read a bit and think about it. Um, But it talks about women's voices being portrayed as naggy and lowering your voice an octave is a thing to do and all this kind of jazz. And there was a thing on... um, 
there was a woman on question time the other day. There was a clip going around I saw on Facebook with her mm. being visibly and shakenly angry about knife crime and the death of... Yeah. She was a black woman, a black mother. And she was visibly just full of rage and passion. And loads of the comments was, oh, she sounds like a fishwife from, you know, it's like that sort of, that idea that women's voices are shrill. And Mary Beard's argument, looking at it through history, is that that's what we've, we've been taught to think that, mm. you know, rather than responding to that in a, you know, why is it less authoritative? What is a fishwife? I don't know. It's a phrase used, which is like, I don't know. The, I, I don't I know. know. It, prob- I would like it probably to know has origin they- in something being a I'm I sure don't know, fish horribly... market going, come and get your cod. I don't know what it is. Well, I was just going to look up the definition just to... Let's do uh, it. A coarse-mannered woman who is prone to shouting. That's me. Or a woman who sells fish. <laughs> um. I, uh, I remember Andre once me arguing with him about something and he told me I was nothing but a Balkan witch. Yes. <laughs> this book doesn't go far back doesn't doesn't go back to the witches it only goes back a hundred and so odd years unfortunately that would be a whole new window of I bet there were some bloody brilliant witches I bet there were I like Mm. the t-shirt that goes around it's like we're the great great granddaughters of the witches you didn't manage to burn (laughs) there's a t-shirt you can wear you know it's got something to be said for it I've got some fierce women some fierce woman a Fierce Women. So The Fierce Women is a card game. I'm going to read the bit off the back because I think it reads nicely. It says, Fierce Women have made great contributions to society in the fields of science, culture, politics, art, feminism and human rights. This social card game is dedicated to these women. Fierce Women. May we know them. May we raise them. May we be them. That's I mean. what it says on the back of the card. Are you ready? Uh, it's also made in Croatia with love. It's, a, it's one of those crowdfunders I've, I've uh, right. monitored for ages and done absolutely nothing about getting, just hovered over the buy button. And then I found them in my local shop, so I bought them. Mm-hmm. So then inside we have 60 cards of fierce women. Um, I'm just randomly selecting. Vera Rubin. One of the most important cosmological discoveries of the 20th century, unfairly overlooked for a Nobel Prize, as made by Rubin. By measuring the rotation of distant galaxies, she provided some of the first evidence for dark matter. Excellent. Hey, I've heard of Vera Rubin because of been reading my book. So there we go. Have you? Uh, yes. Have yes. we got some fierce, bloody brilliant women overlap? Yeah. I should think so. I wonder. I think so. they might even have nicked them all out of this book. Um, <laughs> Listen, um, here's, here's one. Here's a, here's one. Here's a good point made Go by Anne Oakley in 1974. Suggested, well, saying, um, Oakley started, attacked the idea starting to be floated by male sociologists that men did more around the house than they used to. She expressed frustration at the, fa- at the way no one suggested that the domestic incompetence of men might be a result of insufficient experience. Good point. I think we it's just we're wired differently, so I just can't do it. I'm yeah, yeah, that's it. why you. That's why you. Are we were having this conversation around the table the other day with a bunch of um, Croatian women? Croatian men are very good at pretending they're undomesticated because right, they don't yes. like anyone to know that they can cook. But actually, they're bloody weird. There's a lot of male hubris in this country but anyway well, um, when you want to cook as a man like you get it's well, loud I don't and hot and sh- 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 you get to like throw things and uh, why would you things with big knives stuff yeah you get to use a knife that's very um, <laughs> i'll tell you but since i started eating fruit in the morning and just it's just every morning first thing you do knife it's, it's like, it just feels like right i'm alive i'm using a knife every day i'm thinking of getting yeah so why wouldn't you uh why would you want to kind of let them you know the the counterpoint in this conversation was examples of women who go no 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 i've never cooked so you get this like antith you know the sort of like the absolute the 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 activist is like no not only does my husband do housework he does all the housework Um, (laughs) which again we're aiming for equality here uh can i shall i do a fierce one yeah Let's go. I've never heard of this woman. I'm not pre-reading these either. So anyway, Nellie Bly. Mm. Do you know her? 
She's the most famous female journalist and reporter of her time. She was known for her record-breaking trip around the world in 72 days and an expose in which she got herself admitted to an asylum for 10 days to investigate reports of brutality and neglect at the Women's Lunatic Asylum. Good work, Nelly. She just got on with it. She was, but what's critical here is that it was 1864 to 1922 that she existed. Flipping so, hell. A long time ago. She weren't waiting for permission. Now we know that, <laughs> what that was like. Um, yeah. Here's a, here's a nice little uh, thing from... I just This quote, anyway, I've highlighted it. I'm just going to read it out. Obscene is not the picture of a naked woman who exposes her pubic hair, wrote the philosopher Herbert Marcuse in, his, in an essay on liberation, but that of a fully clad general who exposes his medals rewarded in a war of aggression. Yeah. Boom. Boom. I don't know what that's got to do with women, so, so I don't know. Well, the idea of nudity being in some way offensive, I find, or obscene is a bit mm. of an odd one. Obscenity. Obscenity. I'm glad. I mean, it's good that we don't. That's not really grounds for anything, particularly anymore. No. <laughs> There's no banned films anymore, are there? Like, it's just all. Just don't do any child. Yeah, but there are all these, like, free the nipple things on. Yeah, something about women's nipples can't be shown, but men's can or something. I don't know. Well, they, like, I don't I mean, really they are pay... Different. They are different. I don't <laughs> pay that much meaning. attention to... That's not my... I, I sometimes... I think if your biggest problem is not being allowed to walk around naked, then I'm not sure your priorities are quite right. Like, <laughs> bigger fish to fry. So like, is that really damaging you that you can't... I mean, it's not that comfortable, is it? Nudism. Don't know. Well, we've been watching Jonathan. Are. That remi- we've been watching Jonathan Creek, which um, is actually very good. I like Jonathan Creek. <laughs> it's like I, I, I remember enjoying it, um, but I, I only saw a handful of them. But they're on Netflix, so I've just been we've just been watching them, and it's you know the pace is a bit funny and it's all a bit blurry, but very creative. Lots of things. Right, but then it's <laughs> it's got that. Um, I think now stories. They have to. You have to go a bit deeper, like do a bit more research and understanding. Whereas, I think when like we weren't a bit more aware of, I don't know, people cross dressing or nudists or like whatever yeah, it yeah. is, it was these are sort of sprinkled as in, as, as just a bit of colour into a story without any depth. But it meant it means that you sort of get this slightly more sort of colourful tapestry. But it's kind of you sort of see things now that are just casually thrown in you like that's mm. <laughs> we know a lot more about that now and you can really just throw that in without like knowing a bit more about it now I don't think not that that doesn't still happen in plenty I, I I feel that most I still feel that watching you know curb your enthusiasm where Larry David will just throw in something about suicide or something about like these things that just because he obviously has no actual real understanding of what that means. So it's just used to kind of like in this really sort of, uh, but it's, it's for lols and it's, you're not supposed to like think about anything too yeah, yeah. deeply. You're just supposed to like look at the service. Um, Did you just say it's for lols? Yes. Let's have a one. woman. So, well, they're all women. Apart I know, from, well, that last woman. one, wasn't Another different woman. Should we have this one? This is quite dramatic. They're nice cards. I shall, mm. uh, should definitely have a, a, a link. They're nice. They're well illustrated. Mm. Um, Francois de Bon, maybe? I'm never, I've never been taught French. Anyway, writer and pioneer of the feminist movement in France, she coined the term ecofeminism in her book Feminism or Death in 1974. According to her, the patriarchal system presents an immediate death threat to humanity. Feminism, on the other hand, can restore the planet to the humanity of tomorrow. 1920 to 2005. We've, um, we've known uh, this for every time. I'm going to wear my, I'm going to wear it as a badge now. Every time we worry about the environment as though it's some new problem. It's, we've known yeah. it's capitalism. 
It's patriarchy, it's colonialism. We've known this for decades yeah. and we don't seem to be able to change it. We just got, we just did the 80s instead. Cocaine! <laughs> I know everything! I'm going to do everything! Like, and then 90s, oh, and then... But, like, what's the fuck? Like, we've known this environmental situation for a very long fucking time. time. But I think maybe... More of us know now, or more but, of us uh, are but, acknowledging it, or I don't know. What annoys me about that is we've known why for ages. Yeah. We've known what the crux of it is for ages. And we still know that until we get equal, in, until everybody's living in more equal circumstances, that is one of the linchpins to, fix, to, to actually moving forward in a way that, like you were saying, you know, all the things we're using, you know, we're burning carbon to make mm. our lives nicer and to make other people's lives nicer. And it's not like, not all of it is just waste for waste's sake. Yeah. But unless we achieve some sort of, unless we up that bottom rung, we're, there's no moving forward. I just think if we need to pull Say, down that flipping top rung, don't we? Like, it's oh, like, totally. stop hoarding everything. There's enough for everyone now. <laughs> We're not living in some scarce environment. We're not living in... Stop telling us we're in a period of scarcity. There is so much abundance, but it is all being hoarded. And God's sake, stop making us fight over scraps. Ah, uh, it's just billionaires. Like, you people are like just seeing AOC and like talking to that guy who's they're charging what's eight thousand dollars for this, the AIDS drug that costs like seven pounds, seven dollars in Australia, and saying you took the public paid for all the research that you have built this on, and now yeah. you are fleecing them like. But it's big just fun, yeah. so. Immoral and so. But big pharma. That's you know that you remember that welcome research I did, and I interviewed that guy who's a massive pharma lobbyist, and he's mm. just like, it's so, uh, it all exactly what you're saying. Like so much drugs research comes from publicly funded research, and then the pharmaceuticals, or even the fact that you know they're paying, they're, they're contributing to a student in a publicly funded university. You know, you don't yeah. get just, you know, it's like just because you bought them a machine doesn't mean you get to keep all the knowledge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, um, maybe, so am I, am I an eco-feminist? Is that what I am? I think Can that's I have a new pretty label? much what I would imagine that you would want the badge. So <laughs> let's do it. Because that's your let's two prongs, isn't it? It is my two it's prongs. It's your two eco-feminist. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, major breakthrough. No wonder I'm frustrated with the world. I'm talking to a flipping eco-feminist every week. I need to talk to someone, a white man. Well, I've got a Michael here who's interested in stuff I'm interested in for the rest of the time. <laughs> I've got two years on a podcast nearly, and I finally understood and got my phrase. <laughs> know what I label is. I know, I know what I label are. <laughs> I'm having a badge. I'm going to... Yes. <laughs> I'm happy now. You Eco can say feminist. whatever you want. You're, to throw that Balkan witch badge in the fire and <laughs> arise renewed. Eco-feminist. <laughs> New Labour's attitude to women was confusing. Harriet Harman might have been the first ever minister for women, but the fact that she was also Secretary of State for Social Security gave the impression that the women's job wasn't a proper one. When Joan Ruddock became Harman's deputy, it was only on the basis that she wasn't paid. This put her in a position, as Harman notes, of having to fight for equal pay for women while her own role was deemed unworthy of remuneration. And that's in the oh. 90s. That's a great little story. Yes. All these things, all these snippets are great for filing away for when you're having a discussion with somebody and they go, yeah, but what about? And you go, well, actually. Did you know? <laughs> Did, Did you know? know? Did you know? Oh, yeah. 
<sighs> Maybe the fierce women and the bloody brilliant women should get together and do like a quotes card set. Have you got Diane Abbott in there? Shall we end on Diane Abbott? Oh, I don't think so. But yes, no. let's celebrate her. Let's celebrate poor Diane Abbott who gets beaten by everybody. Beaten up, not beaten. Beaten up from, by all sorts of people. Mm. Give me some Diane Abbott. In 1987, Love. Diane Abbott made history by becoming the first black woman to hold a seat in the House of Commons. Born in London in 1953, the daughter of a welder and a nurse who had migrated from Jamaica, she went to grammar school where she was the only black girl in her class, then read history at Newnham College, Cambridge, where she was the only black woman in the university, not from a private school. Despite having been told by her history teacher that she wasn't up to it and accused of copying someone else's work when she got an A grade in an English assignment. Um, people simply didn't think I could do it, that I could be elected as a black woman. But I learned a long time ago that you just have to get on with it. You can't let racism hold you back from what you want to achieve. That's how brilliant you have to be to you just to be. bring get level. Or not even level. The uh, um, Chris Kenyon's father helped campaign for Diane Abbott's first election. Mm. A little bit of personal story he was telling me about it one time anyway she is a woman who gets so much she just gets do, do you remember that thing about her drinking the can of gin and tonic on the train she just no. gets so much abuse she can't do a thing so it's like it's the, the thing when you talk about sort of feminism and patriarchy you know as a white woman i have to remember that i'm privileged you know it's like uh yeah. there's all you've always you've just got to be aware of the level of privilege you have i think just mm. check it to see if diane's made it into my, yeah. into this set of cards which well, is and I think, detracted. well i don't know if there's that's that's no. uh, that, there's a well i i guess we could just um there is a uh let's end on margaret thatcher <laughs> who uh, the word brilliant doesn't have to mean <laughs> that we like them <laughs> Uh, if you don't like Margaret Thatcher, it may um, offend you. It may encourage you to know that the popular story that she invented, Mr. Whippy Ice Cream, while at Lyons, seems sadly to be a myth. <laughs> that is a good end. <laughs> um, no, it was a yeah. Well, I, apparently, like, she had a very supportive husband. Like Dennis Thatcher, I think was was instrumental in her being able to do that. Um, I, so yeah, the men I have to. I have to help. We've got to pull, we've got to, you know, it's not enough to fight from underneath. You've also got to have people pulling you up. Yeah, definitely what we said about allies. I, I have an anecdote about a Margaret and Dennis Thatcher yes. at a dinner party because obviously some of the people that I've met over the years, one of Andre's friends, they were at a dinner party where they were there and obviously she'd, warned him that if she started repeating you know like if she was if she was getting a little forgetful and mm. he was sitting at the table she was telling a story and then she started telling another the same story again and he just went repeating repeating <laughs> repeating <laughs> apparently oh god i wasn't there that's gossip <laughs> gossip um it's good right. gossip though i like it Thanks for listening if you like the podcast go to grandpodcast.com and you can subscribe there and that would be wonderful then you won't miss the next one where can people find you Ivanka if they can't get enough of you people can find me on at ecofemno at Ivanka on Twitter at ecovanka feminine magic on Twitter um, but what can people do with you on Twitter? Will you reply to their tweets or you... I, generally, I do. You can engage. She's on Twitter. She do it. You know, I do. Hi. I mean, if Ivanka Trump has been doing something particularly heinous or Donald Trump has been doing anything particularly heinous and I get too many notifications, sometimes I might miss. So basically However, most of the time then. <laughs> but not really. I think people oh. are catching on. Okay. But, um I, uh, but yes, I do like to little, little, little bit of Twitter engagement. I like that. Um, go for it. You can find me at michaelforestmusic.com. 
and uh, goodtohear.co.uk. Buy my apps, patreon.com forward slash Michael Forrest. But sponsor me to live my life and stay free. I mean, this is week two of my freedom. Come and see how it's going on. Um, and you can support the podcast on Patreon if you'd rather do that. Um, yes. And our current supporters. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> thank you, Annette. And thank you, not in advance. We'll thank you after. <laughs> We will never thank you in advance. I wonder if this sales technique is going to work. Michael. I don't know. It's a dollar. Do you want us to do this or not? Fucking hell. No, okay. <laughs> what would you? How would you sell Patreon? I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Just look. We. It's I'm going to talk us. to Nick Harvey. He can write me a marketing plan for how to get more Patreons. Um, <laughs> then I'll a do marketing that. Marketing plan. Well, look. It's all about personal connection, isn't it? It's all about like maybe if we could. Maybe we can, like, what would you, I don't know. Maybe we should do, like, a <laughs> mini episode where we invite people to ask questions and be involved, and that could be a Patreon thing. If we could sort of make an extra 15 minutes or something and do it on Google Chat and people could ask questions or, like, throw stuff in, that or could join be a Patreon. In. Yeah, join, join in. in. But what you forgot to mention was, and what about this thing? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like maybe we could try and do something like that. What do you think? Like, would you support us then? Ideally, we'd like to. We're already doing quite a lot of work on this, so it's sort of like having to do extra work just to. It's sort of like it's. We end up in the same place. So that's why we're just asking for. Because there's no ads on this. Have you noticed? Apart from ads for things we're doing and random <laughs> card game things and electric bicycles yes. and things like that. I mean, we advertise, and, uh, but we don't get paid. Jobs. We don't get and restaurantsbrighton.co.uk forward slash jobs. You can do that. I mean, that's the other way you can support the podcast. Just come and find out the stuff we're doing, yeah, and help yeah. us because I am on the run from the feds. <laughs> the feds being the evil, cruel hand of capitalism. Um, anything else? No, I think we've done quite. Oh, right. I think we've gone on about Patreons quite a lot. But if you do, um, if you can't, if you don't feel compelled to engage with the Patreon idea, ratings and reviews are incredibly useful. Mm. Little five stars on the app that you're listening on now, just while Mm. you're listening. If you just, if you just think more people would benefit from hearing the podcast itself. And then hopefully as a second degree benefit, more people will know about us and it will grow. And then maybe there will be, maybe someone will come and say, we'll give you a thousand pounds to advertise our bicycle. We, we can do it that way if you want, you know, spread the word. Or just, you know, cut out the middleman, keep this secret, keep it the podcast secret, but support us in other ways. Anyway, that, that's, uh, that's us that would done be, for this yeah. week. So um, <laughs> we'll uh, see you next time. <laughs> Take bye. care now. Bye. Um, bye. Bye, bye, bye. bye.